This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. And let's begin uh, this morning in Matthew 26, verse 21 to 25 to introduce the thoughts. Matthew 26, 21 to 25. <clears throat> Matthew says, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them <clears throat> to say unto him, Lord, is it I? <clears throat> he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. <clears throat> Excuse my voice today. <clears throat> I want you to think about the statement here that Jesus made to Judas. He told him it would be good for that man if he'd never been born. And when you think about Judas, that's really true. Judas would have been better off if he'd never lived. Because out of all the multitude of disciples, God picked twelve men, or the Lord did, twelve men to be His apostles, His inner circle. Judas was privileged to be one of those twelve. He traveled with Jesus. He lodged with Him. He ate with Him. He got to hear Jesus teach. He heard Jesus preach many sermons. He, he saw the Lord work dozens and dozens of miracles, great miracles. In fact, Judas himself, if we look at Matthew 10, and we will not, but in Matthew 10, the Lord sent the disciples out to preach and gave them miraculous powers. Judas would have preached and worked miracles and even raised the dead. And yet here's a man that at a crucial time turned traitor and sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said it would have been better for Judas if he had not been born. If you'll think about that, that's true. This man will be in hell for eternity. And Judas would have been far better off if he'd never lived. But I believe for millions and millions of people, if not billions, there's going to come a day when they will literally wish also that they'd never been born. And they're going to have a reason for that because the day of judgment will come and everybody must give an account for their life. And then it's going to be a very sobering time for millions of people. In uh, Hebrews 9, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We often talk about how death is an appointment, but so is judgment. Not only will we die, but now we've got to face Jesus. We have to give an account for how we've lived. And that's going to be a very sobering time for people. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, Paul said, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. There's going to be this appointed day when we're going to give an account to the Lord for how we've lived in this life. And I believe in that day if a person dies lost, they will eternally wish that they'd never been born and there are many reasons why, and it's this sobering truth that I want to talk to us about today. 
If you die lost outside of Christ, you'll literally wish you'd never been born. And there are many reasons, and the first reason is you'll wish you'd never been born because of the separation. And that separation takes many different forms. First of all, you will be separated from God. Now there's a sense today, if you're lost, if you're in sin today, I want you to think about this, you're already separated from God. You're separated because of sin. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, Isaiah said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. God does not hear sinners. When people turn away their ear from hearing God's Word, He doesn't hear them either. He's not obligated to do that. And people that are in sin today are separated from God. That is, they have no claims upon God for salvation, for His providential care and protection, for none of those things, and yet God is still good to people. Those that are in sin today still are blessed by God, even separated from Him. Think about this. They still get the warmth of God's Son. They still get God's rain. They still get God's blessings. Those that are in sin today take every breath because God gives them breath and life. See? Jesus said of God that He's kind to the unthankful. He is. The Lord says that He makes His, rise, His Son to, to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Even people in sin get God's blessings. Even though they're separated by sin, they still have an opportunity to come to the Lord and to be His and to be saved. But the separation I'm talking about that'll, that'll make them wish they'd never been born is an everlasting separation. It's an eternal separation. And if you and I die lost, we're going to want to talk to God. We're going to want to reach out to God. In fact, I believe people in hell will cry out for God for mercy, and He will not hear them. Because when they were here on earth, they wouldn't hear Him. And there'll come a day when they'll never be able to reach their Creator. And the very thought of that ought to scare people to death. They'll want to contact God. They'll want to talk to God. They're going to need God's blessings. And in that particular time, there won't be any blessings from God. They'll never reach Him anymore. There is a separation from God that will make people wish they'd never been born. Number two, in regard to this separation, if a person dies lost, they'll be separated from every other person that is godly and righteous. I want you to think about that a minute. They'll never be around another righteous person, another godly individual. Everybody they're around will be ungodly. You see, hell is a habitation of the defiled, and the ungodly of all ages are going to be there in that place. Hell's made up of some horrible people. In Revelation 21 and 8, the Bible gives just a partial list of some of the kinds of people that will be in hell. The Bible says that the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now he names some interesting people here, some, some very horrible people. He talks about the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, 
murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. We could add to that extortioners. We could add to that all kinds of things. But just think of the kinds of people that will be in hell. And if you and I go there, they will be our neighbors in agony. And to illustrate that better, let's, let's think of it this way. Let's suppose that, let's suppose you're shopping for a house. And you've been looking a long time, and you really have a pretty good idea of what you want. And uh, you get a real estate agent. David, you'd want me to say that, I'm sure. You get a realtor. You go around and you begin to look at houses, and he shows you various things, but none of them suit you. And finally, he shows you a house that really gets your interest. He shows you the picture, and you decide to go look at it. And as you approach and park there on the street and look, the lawn just looks exactly like you've always wanted your lawn to look. It is immaculate. There's beautiful shrubbery and trees. It's just a beautiful yard, a beautiful lot, everything that you could ever want or imagine. And then as you go inside and look around, you look at the floor plan, and it's, it's laid out just perfectly, just like what you want. And the kitchen's just wonderful, and the appliances in it are beautiful. The bathrooms, the bedrooms, the living area, everything is just laid out just exactly like you've dreamed of. This is the house that maybe you've wanted all your life. But then you ask, uh, you ask the realtor another question about it. You ask him, what about my neighbors? What, do you know anything about the neighbors in this place? What's the neighborhood like? And so the realtor begins to tell you, well, over on the left side over here is a thief. Your neighbor over here on the right is a murderer. Across the street from you is a prostitute. And just across the alley in the back lives a drug dealer. How many of you would buy that house? No matter how good the lawn looks, or the shrubs look, or the floor plan looks, you wouldn't buy a house in a neighborhood like that. You'd probably say to yourself, I wouldn't live around people like that. I wouldn't want to be around them. Yet, people will die and go to hell, and they'll be around those kinds of people. Thieves, prostitutes, murderers, drug dealers, extortioners, all kinds of people. You see, hell, as I said earlier, is a habitation of the defiled. And the ungodly of ages, of all ages, will be there. They will be neighbors in eternal agony. And that's the kind of people that folks will be around. There will not be any good, righteous people in hell. There won't be any godly people. You'll be around the worst that have ever lived. You'll be around the Osama bin Ladens, the Adolf Hitlers, the, the gangbangers, the, the drug users the pimps and prostitutes and murderers and mafia and mob and all, all such people as that. What a horrible place it is, and no wonder, no wonder a person will wish they'd never been born. Number three, you'll be separated if you die lost from all of your family, your friends and your loved ones that serve Jesus, that are Christians and are faithful. And there'll be a great separation take place. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 25 at verse 31. He said, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set his sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. 
So there's a great separation will take place. A husband will be separated from his wife and a wife from a husband. Parents will be separated from their children, children from their parents. Loved ones and friends will be separated that have known each other for years and loved each other in this life. That great separation will take place. And we'll see that husband separated from his wife and the wife from the husband and the parents from the children and vice versa. And it'll be a horrible separation because those loved ones will never be seen again. Imagine that, never seeing your loved ones again. Jesus in Luke 13, verse 28, said to the Jews of His day, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and ye yourselves thrust out. Folks will watch people be welcomed into the kingdom while they are thrust out and cast into hell. So it'll be horrible there because of the separation from family and friends and loved ones. And then there's another separation that'll take place, and that's a, that's a separation from the gospel. What is the word gospel? It means good news. What's the good news? When Paul described it in Corinthians, he said it's that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that there's salvation through Christ, that there's hope of a glorious resurrection through Jesus. The gospel's good news, and all of us like good news. There are a lot of you here today that are not very old, and you may not even uh, I know you don't remember the song. You may have heard it. You sure you, you may have never heard it. Song by Ann Murray several years ago. She talked about a little good news. I think if I remember right, she's a Canadian woman, and she recorded the song about a little good news and talked about the importance of good news. And like I say, you may have never heard of this woman, but uh, Google the song sometime. It's got some beautiful words. I'm not going to sing those words to you. I don't think you'd want to hear that today. But let me quote some of the words from that song. And listen to the message in the song. <clears throat> she says, rolled out this morning. The, the, the kids had the morning news show on. Bryant Gumble was talking about the fighting in Lebanon. Some senator was squawking about the bad economy. Going to get worse, you see. You need a change of policy. There's a local paper rolled up in a rubber band. One more sad story is one more than I can stand. Just once how I'd like to hear the headlines say, not much to print today. Can't think of nothing bad to say because nobody robbed a liquor store on the lower part of town. Nobody OD'd, nobody burned a single building down. Nobody fired a shot in anger. Nobody had to die in vain. Sure could use a little good news today. Don't you get tired of the bad news? She goes on in that next verse. She says, come home this evening. I bet you the news will be the same. Somebody takes a hostage. Somebody steals a plane. How I'd like to hear the anchor man talk about a county fair or how we cleaned out the air, how everybody learned to care. Oh, tell me no one was assassinated in the whole third world today. And in the streets of Ireland, all the children had to do was play. And everybody loves everybody in the good old USA. Sure could use a little good news today. It's a beautiful song and beautiful words and great sentiment. 
because all of us like good news, and that's what the gospel is. But in the lake of fire, there won't be a gospel. In hell, there is no good news. It's all bad news. Right now, there's good news. Right now, you and I have the gospel. In Romans 1 and 16, Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There's good news that Christ died for us, that He was buried, and that He rose. And that word will save us. In James 1 and 21, James says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This word, this gospel will save us. But if we reject it in that day, the same word will condemn us. Jesus said in John 12 and 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. The very gospel that will save us today, the very word of God that will save you, will condemn you on the day of judgment. And so there will be a separation from the gospel. No wonder people will wish they'd never been born. They'll be separated from God. They'll be separated from all the godly and righteous people that have ever lived. They'll be saved from their friends and family and loved ones that are Christians. They'll be separated from them. And they'll be separated from the gospel, from the good news. But there's another reason why people will wish they'd never been born if they die lost, and that is because of the pain. Hell is a place of pain, and there's several forms of that pain. Let's talk about it a little bit. There is, first of all, the pains of everlasting fire. In Matthew 25 and verse 41, Then shall he say unto them also on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Everlasting fire. There are a lot of people today that scoff at that idea. They scoff at hell. Hell is not real to a lot of people anymore. Hell's become a mild cuss word. It's something you say if you, if you hit your thumb with a hammer. It just be, has become a, a cuss word of some kind, a mild cuss word. And the concept of everlasting torment, well, a lot of people just disregard that. And one is the idea of fire. You see, fire usually consumes things. When we burn wood, for example, the fire consumes the wood and puts out heat. Fire consumes whatever it burns. And so people say there can't be an everlasting hell because how could God keep a human body in a lake of fire while the body would be burned up, it would be consumed. But they forget about God and they forget about His power. That would be nothing for God. Let me remind us all of the story of Moses and the burning bush when he was keeping his father-in-law's flock of sheep. And remember, as he wandered and he looked upon the mount, on the mountainside there was a bush on fire. The bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And Moses said, I've got to turn aside and see this sight. And as he turned aside and approached the bush, the Lord spoke to him out of the bush. Take your shoes off, Moses. This is holy ground, the Lord told him. The Lord was in the bush, and the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. How did the Lord do that? Very easy for the Lord. That's not a problem. 
You see, He can cause things to burn and not be consumed. Think about the sun up in the sky. How come the sun is up there 93 million miles away or so? Because Jesus Christ spoke it into existence out of nothing. And this is a large burning star. We're told has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The sun is so big that scientists say you can put 1.3 million Earths inside of it. It's 1.3 million times bigger than our planet. That's a big object, a huge burning fire. And it's been burning now for over 6,000 years. And the Lord spoke that into existence out of nothing. Don't tell me that He can't keep people in the lake of fire and torment them for eternity without their bodies being consumed. I believe if the Lord wanted it and willed it, the sun could keep burning from now on and never burn out. He could create an everlasting sun, in other words, something that would burn and never be consumed. There's nothing impossible for God. After all, He made man out of the dust of the ground. He made woman out of a rib from man. Keeping people in a lake of fire for eternity is just not a problem with God. And those who deny a real hell, a lake of fire, are not thinking properly about God and who He is and the power that He has. There is the torment of fire, and all of us have been burned. And if you haven't, well, be patient, you will be. Nothing quite hurts like a burn, does it? It just hurts to be burned. And we still touch hot objects every now and then, and we still feel the pain. Even drinking a hot sip of coffee can be pretty tough if it goes down pretty quick. It just burns. We do hate burns. And this is a place here of everlasting fire. We can't even begin to imagine the pain in this place. The Bible says it's also a place of darkness, of no light. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, the first half of that verse. Jesus said, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. I believe that what we see in hell here is a kind of a vision of a lake, is how I picture it, a lake of fire and brimstone. And there's a glow to fire. But on the outer banks, this outer region out here, there is outer darkness where the light of this world does not shine, where God's light does not shine. And as you look from, from that lake toward the shoreline, if you could even see it for the smoke and all, it's just blackness. And I think if I had to be shut up in darkness the rest of my life, I'd go crazy. When we have a storm, for example, that comes up and all of our electrical power gets knocked out, what's the first thing we do? We get a candle, we grab a flashlight, if we've got the old coil oil lantern, we'll light it. We'll run to any source, generator, whatever it be, we'll run to something that gives us light. Because when you and I are up about, and we, we don't want darkness, we don't want to be up and about in darkness, we want to be able to see, because light cheers, light brings comfort, see? light reveals things. And darkness is just kind of unnerving and unsettling. And if we had to live in darkness continually, imagine what that would be like. If you've ever been in a cave someplace like Carlsbad Caverns or, or someplace like that where it's been pitch black, 
it's kind of unnerving in a place like that, especially when you're several hundred feet below ground and you're in this cavern and there's no light down there. Now they've got a lot of the places now down under the ground in these caves lit up for you where you can see things and all, but in some of these other caves many times they're just, they're just pitch black. And there's something about darkness that can just drive you crazy and scare you a little bit. Imagine spending eternity in a place of outer darkness. Just the pain, the anguish of that, the mental, the mental anguish of it would drive you crazy. And then there's the description of the pain in Matthew 25 and 30. Jesus said, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this shows the intensity of the pain, that it is so terrible that folks grind their teeth in agony. And I think there's something about hell that many times we miss when we think about it. You imagine, imagine grinding your teeth in agony, but imagine hearing millions if not billions of other people around you grinding teeth, gnashing teeth. Imagine the cries in hell of people weeping. Imagine not just your weeping, but hearing everybody else cry. Broke down and just, I'm not talking about sobbing, I'm talking about crying. Horrible crying. And imagine the, the pleas that are continually thrown up to God. Help me, save me. We can't even imagine what will be said in a place like that. And if you think about going to a football game, a, a college football game or something where there's 50, 60, 70, up to 100,000 or more people in those stands. You know how loud a crowd can be. Can you imagine millions, if not billions of people grinding their teeth and crying? And folks, if God could just, if God could just pull the curtain aside a minute and let us hear the noise of hell for about five or 10 seconds, probably scare us to death. Just the noise of the place. No wonder he described it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then there's the pain of no rest. No rest. Revelation 14, 11 says, The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. We know how good it is to rest when we're tired, when we're just worn out mentally, or when we're we're worn out physically, or maybe both. There's nothing quite like the bed, is there? Just falling on the bed, just slipping in under those covers, and just lying back and resting. It feels so good, but in this place, there's no rest. The Bible says they have no rest day nor night. What a horrible place. So think of the pain in this place, and it's easy to see why folks will wish they'd never been born. There is the pain of eternal fire, the pain of outer darkness, the pain of the noise of weeping and gnashing of teeth, the pain of no rest, no rest at all. And then number three, there's another reason that people will wish they'd never been born, and that's because of the, the duration of this place, the duration of hell. You see, hell's everlasting. And that may be the, the major reason for wishing that you'd never been born. Matthew 25 and 46. 
Matthew 25 and 46. Jesus said, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The punishment's just as long as heaven is, and heaven is forever. We have a song in our book. I believe in this book we use now, it's page 125. It's Amazing Grace. One of the verses in that song says this about heaven. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years in heaven, and we don't have a day less to praise God. The writer's trying to picture what eternity's like. 10,000 years of heaven is nothing. And 10,000 years in hell is just nothing. We can't hardly describe eternity. How do, you desc how do you describe something that's everlasting? Because we live in a world of time. See? You really can't spend eternity, it just is. It's not like a ball game where you've got a clock that governs everything. Eventually the clock runs down. Even if you go into overtime, the clock will eventually run out and people get to go home. See? But in this place the clock never, never runs down. In Revelation 14, 11 again, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. See? Ever and ever. And so we'll have plenty of time on our hands, time to reflect upon our lives back here on earth. And I believe a lot of the torment in hell will be mental because people will think back on earth to the times they maybe sat in an assembly like this and they heard the Word of God preached, and they were warned about hell, but they wouldn't listen. They were told of God's love, but it didn't touch their heart. They were told about the cross and the shedding of, of Jesus' blood, but it didn't matter to them, see. They heard the Word preached, but they intended to fight it off during the invitation. When an invitation was given to come to the Lord, they resisted. And now they're sitting in hell, and they're thinking about the time that they sat in church assemblies and they heard the Word of God preached and they think of all the people that were there, maybe their mother, father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, son or daughter, who sat and heard that Word and many of them that were obedient to it and lived their life for Jesus and yet they wasted their life and now they're in hell and the anguish of this is going to be incredible. For all eternity, folks will be tormented because they rejected the gospel and would not serve Jesus. If you're not saved today, you think about that because for you that day is going to be coming if you don't do something. Finally, there's another reason that people will wish they'd never been born, and that's because of the loss. And there's such a great loss. The first thing I want to mention is that if you die outside of Christ and wish you'd never been born, you will do so because of the loss of the most valuable thing you have, and that's your soul. There's nothing more valuable. What is your soul? It's you. It's your life. It's your mind and emotion and will and conscience. It's your inner man. It's you. It's who you are. And where do you go to get another life? Where can you buy a life? Where can you buy another you? Where can you buy an existence? 
Jesus talked about the soul in Matthew 16, 26. He said, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Where would we get another soul? If we had everything in the world, this earth, everything in it, oil fields and, and mineral deposits and skyscrapers and houses and land, if we had the wealth of this world combined, and that would be a lot of wealth, we couldn't purchase our soul. What would we be profited if we had the whole world and lost our soul? You see, in hell people will lose their soul, and there is no other. There is no other. I've thought many times of, of people like uh, Elvis Presley. I'm not trying to judge Elvis this morning, but my goodness, what a, what a well-known man he was. Even you that are younger that never, never got to be around him when he was here on earth. You know who Elvis is. Everybody does. You know, if you said the word Pat, hardly anybody would know who you're talking about. But when you say Elvis, everybody knows, don't they? Anywhere on this earth, they know who Elvis is. Because the man was extremely wealthy, extremely talented. And he had fame and popularity. He was loved and admired and really almost worshipped, if not worshipped. He had a great many things. I don't know his situation with God. That's up to God on that. But I do want you to suppose something. Let's suppose that Elvis died lost, that he wasn't ready, that he didn't serve the Lord, and that he'll be in the lake of fire. What do you think his songs, his popularity, and his wealth mean to him now? Even right now at this moment, what does it mean? If this man is lost, if he is in Hades and in torment down there with the rich man that's mentioned in Luke 16, think about it. You see, it would have been better off for him if he'd never been born. If the world had never seen him, never heard his music, if he'd have never drawn a breath of life here on earth, he would be far better off. And so if we lose our soul, We've lost everything, you see. It doesn't matter about our popularity, our possessions, the money that we've earned, or anything else we've enjoyed here in this world. It's really useless. Because we brought nothing into this world, and the Bible says it's certain we can carry nothing out. You will have lost your soul. Secondly, you will have lost an inheritance. Because a Christian, you see, is heir to a fortune. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen. To an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. There is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fades not away. You know, we can get an inheritance in this life from relatives. Sometimes people are left substantial amounts of money, property and different things by relatives. And that's passed down to another generation. <clears throat> but that's corruptible because it's going to fade away. And either it will be spent by us if we inherit, or whoever might get it from us will spend it or else waste it or else they'll lay it up and pass it on to somebody else. But the point is, we will lose that inheritance one day, 
Either we will use it up, give it away, or we will lose it when we die because we're not taking it out of here. But the Christian has an eternal inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. Peter said that fades not away and that it's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved. We can't lose it up there. And if a person dies lost, they would have lost this inheritance. You see, they would have had an opportunity to be a child of God. Let's talk about that a minute. Galatians 3, verse 26 to 29 speaks of this. Paul said, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Talks, us, talks about us being Abraham's seed if we belong to Jesus, that we are heirs. For you see, the Christian is not just the child of a king. He is the child of, a, of the king of kings. If you'll think about people in the Middle East, think of these rich oil men over there. Think of these very rich people in Saudi Arabia and, and around the world that just have billions and billions of dollars. And then think about their children. To be a child of the king, child of a prince like that, is to have great wealth. Now think about being a child of the king of all those kings. That's what the Christian is. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Romans 8, excuse me, yeah, Romans 8 and verse 14. Paul said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He talks about this great inheritance, see. And the person in hell will have lost that, the opportunity to enjoy everlasting life and all of the riches of glory in heaven. We can't even imagine. And finally, we will have lost another thing very valuable, and that's all hope. Hope. Hope is such a great thing. The Bible says we're saved by hope. Romans 8 and 24 Paul said, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? Let's, let's talk about that. We're saved by hope. Hope. Hope's got at least two main ingredients to it. One of them is desire. The other one is expectation. If you've got hope, you've got desire, and you've got expectation. If we've got hope of heaven, we have desire for heaven, and we have the expectation of receiving it one day. If you're in hell, you don't have hope because you might have all kinds of desire to get out of there, but you have no expectation. <coughs> and when we lose all hope, that's a terrible thing. Hope's what sustains us. 
The Bible says it's an anchor for the soul. It anchors us. It sustains us in this life. When we have all kinds of trouble and such things, hope is the anchor. It's what keeps us anchored. And so picture a ship, if you will, being tossed about by storms of life, and wind blowing and waves rolling and everything, and just, just tossed about. But uh, if that ship's got a good anchor, picture us now being tossed around like a ship with, with troubles and sorrows and burdens and temptations and such things, and just picture an anchor, a big cable going up to heaven. That's faith with an anchor in Christ who is our hope, and we're anchored in Him. And we can get tossed about in this life with all kinds of problems, but we're anchored in Jesus because He's our hope. And that hope sustains us. And when we have these problems, these burdens, these difficulties, it's hope. We've had people recently with surgeries. They need something to sustain them, see. Some of you have had property damage, homes destroyed. Hope will sustain you. There's nothing like hope, but when you don't have hope at all, it's horrible. Think about the time that uh, maybe you've been with a loved one and they've, they've been to a doctor and maybe they're in a hospital and the doctor comes out and he says to a family, I'm sorry, but we've done everything we can do. There's no hope. You can turn off the, you know, the life support. You can pull the plug. There's no hope. And they leave it to you to make that decision. And sometimes people just wilt because there's nothing like being without any hope. No hope. And in hell, folks, there's no hope. There's no hope of anything ever changing. There's just no more hope left. Luke 16. Let's just think of the rich man and Lazarus in that story. We read in verse 22, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell or Hades, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Abraham has just told this rich man, you have no hope. You're getting what you deserve, and beside that, between us and you there's a gulf fixed, and you can't come to us, and we can't come to you. There is no comfort for you. There is no hope. Not even the drop of water on the tip of a finger. Nothing. And that's how it is in hell. We've noticed four reasons, four main reasons, why a person who dies lost will wish they'd never been born. Because of the separation, the separation from God, from every person that's righteous, 
from family and friends and loved ones that died in the Lord from the gospel. We've talked about the, the pain, the pain of everlasting fire, the, the pain of no light, just only darkness, the pain of the grinding and noise of hell, of gnashing of teeth and weeping, the pain of no rest. We talked about the duration, that it's everlasting. And we've talked about the loss of one soul, of an inheritance, and of all hope. Four main categories, the separation, the pain, the duration, and the loss. Everybody here today has been born. We had no choice in that matter. Let's think about our birth for just a minute. How many of you picked the color of your skin? Not a one of us. How many picked your parents? Nobody. We didn't have that choice. How many of us picked that we would be born in America? Thank God we were. We could be in a third world country right now, scrounging for the next meal, wondering how in the world we're going to eat another meal. We didn't pick how tall or how short we are, how hairy or how bald. We didn't pick how handsome, how beautiful we might be, or how ugly we are, as the case may be. We just didn't have any choice, did we? We are born into this world, and, and there's no change in that. And we can't change it. The only thing we can do is change where we wind up in the long run for eternity, either in heaven or in hell. We can make that decision, see. And so I would ask you this question as we close the study. If you were to die today, would you be glad of your birth? Or would you wish you had never been born? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.